Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. service this morning. Happy to see all of your faces and uh, ready to get into to what I feel like God has, has uh, given me to share with you guys. As I was preparing and the things were just kind of coming to me, I thought about how much I love Christmas, how much I love Christmas service, because it's, it's uh, of all the days, it, it's one of the ones where we just get to talk about uh, what matters most to us, what makes us Christians, what, what is different about our faith than every other faith on the planet. As, uh, as I looked at the kids and, and singing uh, their, their Jesus version of Jingle Bells this morning, as, as I listened to Gary uh, making the announcements, and, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, went to, a me- went to a service, listened to the message, took notes, was compelled to share with others that that's what Christianity is about, is to hear the things of God, internalize the things of God, share those things with others. I thought about uh, over the next couple of days when people are going to be off work and gathering and giving gifts to one another that, that some of us can give, some of us can't give gifts to people. But uh, this idea of embracing, I just felt like as, as he was sharing with us and we're talking about giving our tithe and offer, just to encourage you guys to embrace people this week. When you see them, hold on to them tight. Give them a good hug. Give them a big hug. You might not have a message to preach to them, but they'll be able to feel the love of God coming through you and to them. So just so many good things that, that I feel like God is doing right now as, as we worshiped. Um, and, uh, and we were just singing about how good he is and how he's always moving, how he's always working, just being reminded this morning that, that I came to meet with Jesus, that I came to be in his presence, that I came to give him glory, I came to give him worship this morning, and I get to do that with friends and family and loved ones. It's a, it's a special day. I have a, a lot to share with you guys this morning, and uh, I'm going to be on time, which means like Gary, and he had those notes, you better pull out a pad and a pen and uh, your phones if you're taking notes. I just believe that God wants to, to speak to us. Somebody say amen. amen. What a good day. So this morning, what we've been talking about as we've led up to our Christmas service in December has been this prophecy. Say prophecy. prophecy. And it's from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. It says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. <clears throat> Excuse me. This, this prophecy, what a prophecy means is that somebody is proclaiming something, saying something, saying that it's going to happen. Isaiah writes this 700 years before Jesus is actually born. He says unto us a child is born as if it was already happening, happening that day. But it was 700 years out into the future. 
So December, this month, we've been looking at this scripture, this prophecy, but we've been trying to look at it from the perspective of an Old Testament before Christ person. So when Moses was alive, when Joshua was alive, when Esther was alive, or Ruth, or these people that would read these scriptures and they'd be looking ahead saying, when is he going to come? It says that he will be all these things. And it's just been really, really good and helpful for me uh, to be looking ahead to what Jesus should be what the Messiah will be, what we should be expecting, and what we should be looking for. So what we saw is that he will be wonderful, it said, awe-inspiring. We heard this a little bit during worship, um, that he'll surprise us and he'll over-deliver. Isn't that kind of what, what Gary was talking about, that, that you come with your present and you surprise somebody? I spent $22. They come with theirs, and it's a hand-me-down, already open, $5 gift. And you're like, man, you have drastically under-delivered. When it says that our God is going to be wonderful, it means that he's going to inspire all and that he's always going to over-deliver. Whatever you thought was going to happen, it's going to be better than that. It's going to be bigger than that. It's going to be more amazing. <coughs> it says that he'll be a counselor. It means that he will know and he will completely understand us when he comes. Many of us have great friendships, great relationships, husbands, wives, children. But at the end of the day, when we go to rest our heads, most of us have this feeling or this sense that like, man, we're not really known. Like they know a lot about us. They know more than maybe everybody else knows about us. But there's just this, this limit to what people can know about us. When it says that this coming king will be a counselor, it says that he will know you, fully know you and fully understand Many of us have struggled with that, trying to express ourselves to people, friends, family, loved ones, coworkers, our own kids, or our kids trying to express themselves to us as their parents. And uh, the good news about this Messiah is that he will fully understand, he will fully know you, you will be completely expressed, right? Then it says that he'll be mighty God, able to change your history, able to change your name, and able to change your destiny, the kind of strength that only God could have. That that's what our Messiah, when he shows up, when he arrives, he will be mighty. He will be a God. He will be the God capable of doing things that only God could do. And then we learned that he would be an everlasting father, able to give us comfort and security. Right. Able to really speak to us and hear us. When we talk about comfort and security, I love that that uh, Gary brought up the story of of a family and they're using the stove for the heater. That was normal in our house when I was growing up. Like, like they were talking about it like it was some big deal. I heard some of the ladies like, oh, it must be a Mexican family. I was like, no, it's a black family. If you've never had to turn on the stove or open the open the oven to heat your house, you don't know what roughing it's all about. But this everlasting father that we're going to have, he's going to be able to provide. You're going to have central air and central heat. Amen? Amen. In the spiritual realm. Matter of fact, he might just put a sun up in the clouds and a moon up in the, in the sky, right? Amen. To give you heat. He'll be able to provide in a way that nobody else will, like a father should, right? He'll look on us with joy when we behave as children should behave, right? Many of us, like, I watch my, my kids get up here and uh, the little boy, what's his name, your little boy? Aiden. I watched Aiden get up here and he had to overcome his fears and he was crying and he got up here. Then, he, then everybody else was done. He gave one more hands up like, look, I'm up here now. Right. When we see our kids do stuff like that, we have this joy. Right. But it doesn't it kind of go on and off. Like five minutes later, you're mad at them because they did something crazy or they didn't listen or they didn't get up there. Like, there's all these issues with us going up and down. But our everlasting father, the way that it's described in scripture is that he always looks at you as if it's your best moment. When you hit the game winning shot. Right? When you, when you got up there and you sang your heart out, when you had your solo, 
right? When, when nobody was watching and you helped somebody else or you did something for somebody else, like that's how the everlasting father looks at us every moment of every day. Says that that's who he'll be when he comes, when the Messiah comes. An everlasting father, what, what else does a father do? They bring their children to maturity, right? So this, this everlasting father that's going to come, this Messiah, is not only is he going to always look at you as his child with joy, but he's also never going to leave you and always bring you to maturity. Many of us know what it's like to be left by a father. Many of us know what it's like to get to a certain age where we feel like we no longer need a father. Or even if we do feel, think that we need a father, our fathers have stopped parenting us and they've said, now you've grown, you do your own thing. Our everlasting father is not going to be like that when he shows up. He'll always patiently bring us to maturity. A lot of good things, but, but I think the climax is, is here this morning when it says today that he will also be the prince of peace. The prince of peace. So what does it mean to be a prince? It means that you are royalty. It means that a prince has the DNA and the traits of the king. That's what makes them a prince is that they are a direct descendant of the king. They are like them in blood. They are like them in character. They are raised to be like the king. A prince will also naturally ascend to the throne if he's the firstborn. It's not a surprise that one day they're going to be king. It's an expectation that one day they're going to be king. So it says that this Messiah is going to come and he's going to be a prince. Princes also have the ability to be amongst the people, even though they are separate from or above the people, right? Think about that in a way that the king can't. The king can't really be amongst the people and with the people in the same way that a prince could. If you look at the UK, those are the only princes we know, right? William and Harry. And they're like princes of the people. They go out with the people. They mingle with the people. They serve in the military. One of them married a little half black girl. I mean, this dude is like amongst the people. That's something that a prince can do. And think about, think about ours. It says that the Messiah, when he comes, he'll be a prince. Amongst the people, but also above and beyond the people. With the people, and also preparing to be over as the king of the people. And what about peace? Peace is an interesting thing. What do you think about when you think about peace? If somebody says, man, I wish you peace. Peace this Christmas. Peace in your life. What, what thoughts begin to go through your head? What feelings and emotions begin to arise in you? What is it that you're seeking after if, if you say, man, I'm just seeking for a little bit of peace? Right? Some people might say that peace is having every good thing or everything that you need, right? So that family that, that the heater went out and they're, and they're using the, the stove, they don't have peace because there's something good that they're missing. There's something they need that they don't have. And some people might say, man, if you ever get to this place where you have every good thing and everything you need, then you've reached this place of peace. Another way to look at peace is maybe to say the absence of every bad thing or the absence of everything that you don't need, right? So if there's no, no negative in your life, there's, there's nothing in your life that shouldn't be in your life, right? There's nothing coming, coming against you in your life. You might say that that's peace. I don't, I don't have anything negative. I don't have anything that's in my life that should be out of my life. I think both of those would work. But maybe an even better way to look at peace would be to say peace is a state of being, but regardless of what you have or what you don't have, right? So whether you have all the good things and you have everything you need, whether you have uh, maybe some negative things or some things that you wish were not in your life, peace is being able to say, I am in a place, I am in a state of being, I have a reality that is not contingent upon what I have and what I don't have. I think that's a further or maybe a better definition of, of peace. And it says that he'll be what? Our prince of peace. 
when he comes. So watch this. He'll be born as royalty and sure to ascend to the throne. He'll be, or he will have the DNA and characteristics of God. He'll be above the people like his father, but he'll also be amongst the people in a special way. He'll be able to give people everything they need. He'll be able to keep things from coming into people's lives that they don't need. And he'll be able to give people an inner peace that, be, that goes beyond whatever they do have or don't have, whatever's in their life or missing from their life. He'll be able to take everyone, the faithful, the faithful women and the prostitutes. He'll take faithful men and liars. He'll take strong and weak. He'll take visionaries and he'll take blind. He'll take rich and he'll take poor. He'll take the kind and he'll take the criminal. This is the Prince of Peace that we've been longing for. There's never been one like him. He's so far beyond what anybody has ever seen or could ever expect. But he's been prophesied that this is what he'll be when he comes. So every week what we've done is we've looked at in the Old Testament, these examples of this mighty God, this God that would, would show us what he's going to be like. And quickly, I want to do that for the area of Prince of Peace. I'm going to read to you guys Numbers chapter 35. Verse 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land <coughs> excuse me, around the cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for their animals. The common land of the cities which you shall give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward, the thousand cubits and all around. You shall measure outside the city on the east side 2,000 cubits, on the south side 2,000 cubits, on the west side 2,000 cubits, and on the north side 2,000 cubits. The city shall be in the middle. This shall belong to them as common land for the cities, now among the cities which you will give the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge. Say refuge. refuge. To which a manslayer may flee. And to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you will give to the Levites shall be 48. These, these you shall give with their common land. And the cities which you will give shall be for the, from the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribe you shall give many. From the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give some in its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for, for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint these Three cities on the side of the Jordan and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, from, for the stranger, for the sojourner who is among them. So what does that have to do with uh, the Prince of Peace? I want to I hopefully help you to see this idea of what God was doing in the Old Testament. They're about to take the promised land. They've been saved. They've been delivered. And God says, hey, listen, when you go into the land, the children of Israel, all my chosen ones, you're going to have all this land. You're going to take this city, that city, all these tribes. These 12 tribes are going to be spread out over all this land. And then God pauses for a minute. He says, hey, when you get ready to go in, every tribe, every city is going to uh, give a portion of your land to the Levites. The Levites are the priests, right? 
So the first thing he does is he says, for my children, here's a gift. I'm going to give you everything that you need, everything that you could want, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he says, to the Levites, I'm giving you nothing. Think about that. Earlier we said this Prince of Peace is either giving you everything that you need, right, or maybe keeping some things from you and you don't have everything that you need. To the Levites, he says, you're not going to own any land. You're not going to have anything that belongs to you, but I'm still a Prince of Peace. I'm going to provide for you. He says, out of, the, out of the children of Israel, what they actually own, they're going to give it to you. So these priests and these Levites in every single city, at the heart of the city would be these Levites, the priests, the church, and everybody would be built around them. And that's awesome, right? Because you have all the children of Israel and they're provided for. You have all the ministers of Israel and they're provided for. But then God says, man, I'm, the, I'm also the God of those who are on the outskirts. He says, cities of refuge, and this is for the worst of society. He doesn't cast them out. He doesn't put them in prison. He gives them a place. He provides peace even for the sinners. Our prince of peace, when he comes, is going to be like this. Somehow, he's going to be able to provide peace for everybody on the planet. The good, the bad, the ugly, the righteous and the unrighteous. He'll be able to come in and provide for them in the same kind of way, but I think even in a greater way. I don't know how he's going to do it, but we have some ideas when it comes to to Christmas. In Psalm, Psalm 62, the psalmist says, verse 7, God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That's the picture that the Prince of Peace is painting, is that you may look at it and say, man, I'm a good person, I'm a bad person, I'm a priest, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader right, in the kingdom. Or you may look at it and say, man, I'm, I'm looking for refuge. The psalmist says that we're all looking for refuge, this place of peace, this place where we can wait. That's what, that's what these cities of refuge were. They said, if you did something wrong, you're going to be judged for it. But before the family comes and kills you, before you have to pay the price, we want to give you a place to rest right? That you could meet with the Lord before you're judged. That's why the psalmist says that God is our refuge. He's provided for us this place that we can, we can meet with God before we're judged, that maybe he can do something about our judgment. So good, if you ask me. So when he comes, he's supposed to be all these things. Why don't we pray uh, before I go any further? Lord, I thank you for this prophecy. I thank you that... Um, before the beginning of time, you had a plan uh, in place. I thank you that um, time after time, men and women, prophets, prophetesses, Lord, that they would share and they would proclaim and they would tell people that, that something was going to happen, that someone was going to come, that there was going to be help, that there was going to be hope, that there was going to be refuge, that there was going to be uh, just a shift and a change, Lord God. I thank you for, for the expectation that you didn't just hold your people in limbo, that you told us that when he comes, he would be wonderful, that he would be a counselor, that he would be mighty, that he would actually be God with your power and your strength, that he'd be an everlasting father, and that he would be our Prince of Peace, Lord. I thank you this morning that we get to celebrate the coming of that one, Lord, that we get to be reminded that we're no longer uh, waiting for him to arrive, that you've come. It's not that you will be, it's that you are already. We love you this morning. We ask that you would be here with us and that you would further reveal yourself to us. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we've looked at over these weeks, this prophecy and this morning, there's three areas that I want to share with you. They are the promise. Say promise. Promise. 
Preparation, say preparation. preparation. And the pursuit, say pursuit. pursuit. The promise, the preparation, and the pursuit. We've already got the prophecy. So number one, the promise. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob or Israel forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What an amazing promise. The Lord shows up, makes this promise to Mary about this child that she's going to give birth to. I don't think a lot of people fully understand how important this promise and this proclamation is. If it's true, everything we know about life and love and hope and eternity is changed. If it's not true, uh, then like Paul says, Paul is talking about the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Paul says, listen, if this isn't true, if people don't raise from the dead, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, he said, me and everybody with me that gathers around this name of Jesus, he says, we are pitiful and we're still in our sins. We're wasting our time. It's great that, that somebody gets up here and talks about we've got to stretch and we've got to release and don't withhold and let's let the power of God out. Let's give into the kingdom. Paul says, but if he didn't raise from the dead and if he wasn't born of a virgin, you're pitiful and you're lying and you're wasting your time and you're wasting your resources. That's how big of a deal this promise is when this angel shows up to Mary and says, listen, you are going to have a child. He is going to save his people. His name is going to be Jesus. And you are not going to get pregnant from a man. You are going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. If that's true, everything changes. And he shows up and he makes this promise to her. <coughs> We're told that God is going to bring this life into the world, that he's going to be 100% man and he's going to be 100% God just mind-blowing. How is that possible? I remember back when we studied Exodus, we talked about the Ark of the Covenant, and it's in the Holy of Holies, and that's the presence where the presence of God would come and sit, and it's a wooden box, and it's overlaid in gold, and we, we just hit on it so hard. We kept talking about how the Ark is not a golden uh, covered box, and the Ark is not a, a wooden inner box. The Ark is both gold and wood, right? That the two never fully come together. The gold stays gold, and the wood stays wood, but they're inseparable, and I, I was thinking last night about, about how many things are that way. In the scriptures, when it says that a man and a woman will come together in marriage and the two shall become one flesh, right? The man stays a man, the woman stays a woman, but there is this coming together where they're so close together that they are like one flesh or God calls them one flesh. This promise about this coming king is like, he's going to be like that. How is that possible that he could be 100% man and 100% God? It says that he's going to be capable of changing history for everyone that lived before him and capable of changing the future for everybody that will live after he's come. Think about that. It'd be one thing if you, if you live before him and it's like, dang it, he came and it's so good for everybody after, but he's so special that he can actually change the lives of people who lived before he came. This Messiah is going to be crazy. We know that this is the child of promise to Mary, but he's also the child of prophecy from Isaiah. 
Look at how these descriptions line up. It'd be one thing if God just showed up and he tells Mary, look, it's going to be great. You're going to have this child. But look at what he actually says to her and think about what Isaiah said 700 years before. In Luke, he says to uh, Mary, behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. In Isaiah, it says, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. In Luke, it says he'll be great and he'll be called the son of the highest. In Isaiah, it says his name will be called mighty God and prince of peace. In Luke, it says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob or Israel forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In Isaiah, it says, the government will be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. So in this moment of promise and prophecy, Mary is is hearing, I'm going to be pregnant and he's going to be special and he's going to be of God. But those who maybe knew the scriptures were thinking, this is the one. This is the one that Isaiah was talking about and that God has been planning about for all these years. There's so many prophecies, so many promises throughout the scriptures. And in the Old Testament, God would speak through prophets. God would speak through uh, prophetesses. God would speak through angels like this messenger that came to Mary. But when Jesus comes, there's a shift. Say shift. Shift. Say shift. Shift. Make sure you're still here. So there's this shift on how God speaks. This is John chapter 1, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Think about that for a second. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, God sends a, an angel and he says, tell Mary what I have for her. He sends a prophet like uh, Moses and he says, tell my people that they're going to be delivered, they're going to be freed, they're going to be saved. All right? He's consistently doing this, but this shift happens when Jesus comes And Jesus begins to make promises directly to people. He begins to prophesy about their lives directly to people. That's what happens with Nathaniel here. Nathaniel gets called and he comes running to Jesus and Jesus says, I see you, I know you, right? Remember we said that that he's going to be an everlasting father that fully knows his children. That's what Nathaniel is experiencing here. He's like, I see you. I know you. I know where you were sitting. I know that you have no deceit in you. I know your whole life. And he says, you're God. You're the Messiah. And he doesn't just stop there. What God begins to do, what Jesus begins to do is he makes more promises. He says, listen, you are going to see greater things than this. I have something in your future. It's no different than than an angel saying to Mary, you're going to have a child. Now Jesus is saying directly to a man, you're going to see great things. You're going to go great places. You're going to see the heavens opened up. You're going to see things that nobody else has ever seen before. We serve the God of the promise. 
he still makes promises and he still, still speaks directly to men and women. So number one, the promise. Number two, the preparation. A promise is made and in many ways God gives us time to prepare. That's why it doesn't happen immediately. He makes the promise and then there's this time. What's that time for? It's for preparation. Like Mary, women and families find out that they're pregnant and then they're given nine months to prepare. Right? In the beginning, God could have had pregnancy and childbirth any way he wanted. Could you imagine if God would have said that you have the baby the day after conception? <laughs> Think about that for a second. He's designing it. He can design it any way he wants. Why didn't he say, okay, you're pregnant tomorrow, you have a baby? Because God knows we need time to prepare, and nine months isn't enough time, for, especially for the first one. But he makes a promise. He says, you will conceive, you will have this child, and then he gives us this time to prepare, right, for what's ahead of us. He's interested in our success. Somebody say amen. amen. See, God knows that if we don't have time to prepare, our chances of success drastically decrease. It's one of the reasons that he gives us time for the things that are ahead of us. You're pregnant, okay, you're going to have nine months, get ready for what's ahead of you. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 76. It says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet, into the way of peace. Man, this Prince of Peace. This scripture is about John the Baptist, right? He turned out to be Jesus' cousin, and he was called to prepare people for the coming of the promised Messiah. God is not just going to tell you a prophecy that he's coming in 700 years. He's also going to come and say, get ready. The same way that you have this nine-month pregnancy, he brings this man, John the Baptist, into the world, and he says, look, your job is to prepare people for the coming Messiah, but I want them to be successful. Prepare them for what's ahead of them. His, it says that his job was to make straight the path or prepare the road for Jesus, right? So what he's doing is it's saying, hey, a king is coming. A prince is coming. What happens, we don't know much about this because we don't live in the times of kings and, and even what's going on with the queen and in England, none of us really get to see that. But you have to prepare the way, right? You, you block off the streets. You protect their, their path. You lay out the red carpet. That's where we get like our award shows and rolling out the red carpet. It comes from kingship, right? They're going to walk on this. And, and God says, John, your job is to go out and, and prepare my people to accept and receive the king. Make his way straight. Make his path clear, right? Let them know that he's coming so they're not surprised when he gets there. And then he's also supposed to prepare the hearts of the people to receive a holy God. Man, I hope we understand how important that is. Look at how God's going to save people, right? He sends somebody ahead to tell you that the Savior is coming. And then he says, I still have to prepare your hearts because even if you know he's coming and your heart's not ready, he can't get in. Amen. And how did God say that John was going to prepare the hearts? He said, uh, give them the knowledge of salvation, right? And then through the repentance or the remission of their sins. So they got to know that they need to be saved, and then they have to repent of their sins. And if they do that, their hearts are now open and ready for the Savior to come in. The God of preparation. He has this prophecy, then he has this promise, and then he has this season of preparation. It says that John will also 
guide our feet into the way of peace. The Prince of Peace is coming, so he's got to get us going in that direction. What has God done? He's given us teachers. He's given us preachers. He's given us mothers. He's given us fathers to help prepare us for what's ahead in life. That's our job. If you're a parent and you have those kids that are up there, your job is to prepare them for what's ahead. Next week, next month, next year, five years from now, a decade from now, 20 years from now, prepare them. If you're a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, a worshiper, you're supposed to prepare people for the coming of the king. Prepare hearts, prepare minds, tell them what's ahead of them. This is the system that God has set up from the beginning. I think it's interesting how God connected families and friends with his prophecies, with his promises, and with his preparation. Mary, Mary gets pregnant, and what does she do? She goes to Auntie Elizabeth's house, and when she gets there, she's like, I'm pregnant, it's exciting. Elizabeth's like, I'm pregnant too, and I'm old, it's exciting for me too, and they both have this, this connection. Then when, when Jesus is talking, it says that, that Andrew believes in Jesus first, and he runs and gets his, his brother, Peter, right? His name's Simon at the time, but he gets his brother, this family connection. Then Nathaniel, he gets called by Philip. Philip sees Jesus, meets Jesus, says he's the one we've been waiting for. He runs and gets his best friend. Nathaniel said, you got to come and see, right? These prophecies and these families and all these things are connected. I think about the church and how the church is supposed to work. It's supposed to be friends. It's supposed to be families. We're supposed to be pursuing God. We're supposed to be thinking about these prophecies. We're supposed to be preparing for the coming one. And some of our blessings that we think are for us are not really for us. If you think about Elizabeth and her husband, Zacharias, they were old. They didn't think that they were going to have any kids. And God pours this blessing into their life, just like God pours this blessing into Mary's life, right? But she doesn't realize, fully realize that while he wants to bless her as an individual, what he's really trying to do is bless the whole world with salvation in Jesus. Same thing with Elizabeth. Isn't it cool that some old lady gets pregnant and she wanted a child so bad and her and her husband get it? He gets, he, he gets mute, can't talk until it comes. He says his name is John. It's amazing. But their story is a family story that their blessing was not for them. Their blessing was for the glory of God. John came to Elizabeth and Zacharias as a family so that he could prepare the way of the Messiah to come into hearts and minds and lives. That's how the church is supposed to work. That's how God's kingdom works, is that our individual blessings are not for us. They're for the family and they're for the kingdom. And God wants to do things specifically for you and specifically for me, but it's not about us. It's about the greater good. It's about his bigger plan and purpose. And if we don't see that, right, if we hold on to what we think is ours or that we deserve, like we heard earlier, instead of releasing it, the plans and the purposes of God are stunted. And we see it from the beginning. It's not like this is something new. This is the birth of the Savior and how God chose to do it. If you're here this morning, I believe God's calling you to be a part of a group, to be a part of a family, to be a part of a group of friends that have goals in mind. It is to search the scriptures for the prophecies and promises of God. It is to prepare one another for the coming and the fulfillment of those prophecies and promises and to worship the king and to do that collectively and together. Leads me to my last point this morning. We see first the prophecy, then the promise, then the preparation, and finally the pursuit. The pursuit. This is Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. Say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. 
before I get into the pursuit, I, I, I just want to share last, last night I was at the store too, and I wasn't shopping like everybody else. I, I needed one thing particular, it's just a little cable for my computer, and I had to go stand in a line for 45 minutes to buy it. But anyway, I'm, I'm in the store, and there's this lady, and, and she's got her little baby, and I said, wow, he's still happy after hours of shopping. She's like, we've only been out for an hour. And she started reading him these stories. And I thought it was cool. Like, she was reading loud. Everybody in line could hear her. But she didn't care because she's like, this is my baby. He's only a year old. If you don't like me reading stories to him, go shop somewhere else. So I, I liked her boldness, you know. And I'm listening to her read these stories. And, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm smiling and talking to the baby. And when I get done buying my stuff, they're still at the register. So I go walking out. And, and I say bye to the little guy. And, uh, and then she says... Uh, bye, Merry Christmas. And then she caught herself after she said Merry Christmas, she said, or Happy Holidays. And I thought to myself, I turned around, I said, I said Merry Christmas. Like, I don't want to hear that Happy Holidays stuff. <laughs> so why is that important right now at, towards the end of this message? You know, we live now in a society where the politically correct thing to do, what it means to love and what it means to be kind and what it means to be compassionate and considerate is to say, Merry Christmas. Oh no, you might not believe in Christmas or Jesus. So let me just say happy holidays because I love you. How did we get there from this? How did we get to that's what love is from prophecy, promise, sending children, families, teaching each other, seeking after the coming Savior, to now what it means to love is to catch yourself and say, happy holidays so I don't offend you. We need a church. We need the scriptures. We need to understand. Finally, the pursuit. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem troubled with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring word to me that I may come and worship him also. Before I finish, let me stop there at verse 8. <coughs> wise men in the east see a star. They start tracking down the star. They get to Jerusalem. They meet Herod. Herod is like the governor. He runs everything in Jerusalem as a servant of Rome, but a man of the people of, of Israel, or supposed to be a man of the people of Israel. They get there and they say, where is this king? Where is the king of the Jews that's been born? Herod sends them away, lets them maybe go to, to their hotel for the night, and he calls the chief priest. He calls everybody that, re that represents the church, the elders, the, the wise men of Israel, the, the pastors, the priests. He calls them. He says, where is this king supposed to be born? And they know. They say he's going to be born in Bethlehem. The prophets told us this years and years and years ago. So then he calls back the wise men and he says, hey, we hear that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Why don't you guys go ahead and find him? And when you find him, come back and tell me and I'll meet you there. and We're just going to have a worship service. Right? That's where we're at right now. That's the picture that, that Herod's trying to paint. Verse 9 says, when they heard the king... They departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Man, I love this book. (laughs) So this star and these wise men, I watched this documentary, uh, The Star of Bethlehem, because, you know, Gary and Ray were telling us about Noah's story, about watching the documentary, and then he was able to talk to this grown woman about this documentary and why she should believe in God. So I was like, man, if, if this little 12-year-old is, knows how to do this, I should probably watch this thing. It's great. I encourage all of you, please watch. It's only an hour long, and it's about these wise men or the Magi and uh, the Star of Bethlehem. What I want to talk about, though, we said is the pursuit the pursuit of Jesus. First, the wise men knew the prophecies and the promise of the coming Messiah, right? It says, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Their pursuit was based on prophecies and promises. Think about that for a second. Did you come to pursue God this morning? During your week when you open your scriptures or when you pray or when you listen to worship music, whatever you do, are you trying to pursue God? If you say yes in your mind and in your heart this morning, are you pursuing him based on prophecies and promises that the scriptures have revealed? Because that's how the wise men pursued him. They came looking for Jesus, but they knew where Jesus would be because they read the scriptures and the prophecies, and they knew the promise, so they showed up not hoping to find him. They said, where is he, the one who has been born king of the Jews? We know who we are pursuing. We know where he's supposed to be, and we've come to that place expecting to meet with him. How many of us come pursuing God and expecting to meet with him? Because you know what it says about where he's going to be, how he's going to be, what he's going to be like, how he wants to be approached, what it is that he's asking of you, what it is that he's offering you. This is what the pursuit is supposed to look like. So number one, they knew the prophecies, they knew the promises, and that's how they started their pursuit. Number two, they traveled a great distance, and God led them every step of the way. If you are in pursuit of God... You might have a long journey ahead of you, but God will guide you every step of the way. That's what we learned in the story of Christmas. When they made it to Jesus, it was months after he was already been born. They followed a star that apparently stopped in the heavens over the house that he was in. Think about that for a second. They didn't just say, I'm going to go to church today. Ah, I found Jesus. No, I've heard about Jesus. I'm learning about what it says I should be looking for and why I should be looking for him. Now I set out on this journey and it might take me weeks. It might take me months. It might take me years to actually get to him. It took them months in the documentary. I don't want to spoil it for you, but this to me was one of the most powerful parts (coughs) of the documentary. 
they go through these stars, they go through all these constellations, all this kind of stuff, and it says that more than likely Jesus was probably born around September. All right? So, spoiler alert. Anyway, but that's not the cool part. The cool part is that it's, it, they go back to a particular year, which I won't tell you all this kind of stuff, and the way that the stars are moving, right, this star comes at a particular time when these Magi or wise men are coming into Jerusalem, right? And then when they leave from Jerusalem, it actually appears to stop, right, on a particular spot. They get to it. The day that it stops is December 25th. So what do the wise men do on December 25th? They show up to the house, the star stops, they walk in, and it's Christmas. It's the day, the first day of gifts being given, But their pursuit took a long time. Months and months before they actually got there. From when they saw it, when they look, looking for something, they take off, they got to overcome. So they knew the prophecies. They traveled a great distance. And then the third thing, they came to worship. Man, don't we have it backwards? The Bible says that they gave their gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, but what they really gave was their hearts, hearts of worship. Listen to what the scripture said. They show up. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. It says the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the house where the young child was. When they saw the star, the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. You want to know why many people struggle to find God, even though they feel like and they believe that they're looking for him? It's because they come to get something rather than coming to give something. It would be a whole lot easier to find him if we look for him the way that we're told to look for him in the prophecies and the promises, and we do the things that we're told to do when we get there. The first ones outside of the woman who's pregnant and the, the man that's going to be his earthly father are these wise men who are looking at the scriptures, studying the scriptures, led by God every step of the way. And then when they get there, the first thing they do is not say, God, you got to fix my marriage. God, you got to give me more money. God, you got to take care of my sickness and my cancer. God, you got to just, there's so many things you got to do. No, they show up and they just bow down and start worshiping because they realize who it is that they've come into contact with. They realize who it is that has come to save them. They don't have to hear a 10-minute conversation about why God has called us to give. They come with the best that they have, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And he's a baby, and they just start, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. They don't want to have a conversation about why they shouldn't give their resources to the king. They didn't show up and say, hey, let's talk about this whole giving of my resources thing. It's Christmas. God has come out of heaven to earth to save you and to save me. The church and parents, we are tasked with proclaiming these prophecies and these promises and preparing people's hearts and minds for salvation through repentance. Yes. That's what the church is for. That's what parents are for. Amen. And we've got to do a better job. I believe if we do that, people will begin to pursue the king and they'll find him. And when they do, they'll be ready to give them his, their hearts. They will not be concerned with what they get in return beyond salvation. It's enough. Somebody say amen. amen. So one more thing in, on pursuit in the area of how God leads us to the son. 
like these wise men and how they were led, and then we're going to close. This is Revelation, so it sounds a little crazy, but Revelation 12 says, A great sign appeared in heaven, stars, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman and was ready to give, who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Doesn't it sound like Herod waiting for the child? He's standing there ready to devour and destroy, right? She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overthrew, or excuse me, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. So much there, and I, I can't break it all down, but it's so good with what we're talking about with these wise men and what they saw and what that experience was and how salvation comes, the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives to the death. They were willing to die for Christ. What I do want to say, though, about pursuit is that God is still speaking to us in the stars. God is still speaking to us in dreams. And God is still speaking to us in visions. And we have to stop being afraid of that. We have to enter into his methods of communication. John is writing Revelation. It says that he's caught up in this heavenly vision. The whole Christmas story, think about what we've heard so far. The, the wise men see a star and they start following it. Mary has an angel come to her and speaks to him, speaks to her. Zacharias has an angel visit him and tells him that you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. He's not going to drink. He's not going to cut his hair. He's going to be a Nazarite. Um, all these things are happening in these dreams and in these visions, and that's how God speaks. But how many of us are listening in those areas? I got a call, uh, again, this day in Christmas shopping. We were in the store, and I got a call from, from a loved one, and they were telling me how a particular couple is struggling and that he's been kicked out, and they're not together right now, and they're thinking about counseling. And uh, as I'm talking, Mary's a few feet away from me, and her eyes get really big, and her, her mouth opens, and she says, I had a dream about them this week. And I told Mary, I was kind of joking with her, but I said, you got to say something. You could save a marriage. That God is still speaking just like this. And you know what he's looking for? People who will listen. People who are not looking for God to speak to them the way that they want him to speak. People are not looking for gifts to fall out of the sky like they want them to fall out of the sky. People who are saying, what does he say? How does he say it? What should I expect? What should I be looking for? 
I believe that the scriptures are always going to be our primary source of hearing from God. But dreams, visitations, visions, that's who God is. Stars, aligning, all kinds of stuff. He's just God. That's how he wants to talk. What you do is you take those dreams, you take those visions, you hold them up with the word of God. You say, God, you gave me a dream about this particular couple. Do I see that in the scripture somewhere where I should say something? I probably do. Let me give them a call. What's the worst thing that happened? How are you guys doing? How's your marriage? How's your family? Is there anything I could do for you? Can I pray with you? Would you like to come out? John 4, 23, this is now Jesus, and he's telling you what to expect and how to talk to him. He says, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He's called the Christ, and when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It's my favorite scripture. <laughs> Could you imagine? She knows some prophecy. She knows what to expect. She's waiting for the Messiah, and she's like, he's going to tell us everything. You're telling me to worship in spirit and truth. My family's telling me to do this, but the Messiah is coming. He's going to tell us everything. He's like, I'm he. The one that will be and that will do all these things, I'm here to counsel you. I'm here to be your father, right? I'm here to be wonderful and inspire wonder in your life. I'm here to give you peace when you haven't had peace. And what does he say? How are you going to get that? He says, you got to worship me in spirit and truth. This Friday night, last service of the year, or the last praying service of the year, we have praying in the spirit. And our prayer team's been talking about what we're going to do differently next year. We're going to continue with praying in the spirit. We're going to forge forward. We're going to fight for praying in the spirit. Why? Because God speaks. God speaks, and this is how he speaks. And we have to engage. We have to pursue like this. Jesus says he's looking for people that will do it. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul says, well, then what's the conclusion? I'll pray with the spirit, and I'll pray with understanding. I'll sing with the spirit, and I'll sing with understanding. I'll do spirit and truth. So good. God's looking for people who will hear the prophecy, believe the promise, prepare ourselves through repentance, pursue him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we do that, he has a gift for us. It's the salvation of our souls. And with that comes peace, joy inexpressible, hope, transformation, and love. That's what Christmas is about. Nothing else, nothing more, and nothing less. So I want to close with this. Matter of fact, RJ, why don't you come so they'll believe me. <laughs> Scripture I didn't share with you guys, you can look it up for yourself if you're taking notes. It's 1 Peter 3, 12, 3 through 12. And it just talks about that coming of peace and joy inexpressible and salvation. It talks about how what we've got is what angels desire to look into and how people used to be looking for it and they were waiting for it. And then it says how uh, it wasn't given to them, it was given to us. So what I want to look at as we, as we close, though, <clears throat> are the first salvations that we see in Scripture. As far as salvation in the terms of somebody coming to Jesus, recognizing him as Lord and Savior, and then coming to know him as their Prince of Peace. Like, that's, that's a pretty good definition for salvation, right? You come to Jesus, you recognize that he's not just cool or special or powerful, that he's Lord and Savior, and then in that moment, you get 
the Prince of Peace. Peace comes into your life. Your situation didn't change, right? You didn't get things that you didn't have before. You didn't lose things that you, that you didn't need before. It's just this beyond your physical, this spiritual thing that happens. And I want to I wanna sh- shed a little bit of light on the first few salvations that we see in the scriptures. So I'm going to read the story to you. I, I feel like I got a minute. This is Luke 2, 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. (coughs) The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign to you, You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. I got to stop for a second. Shepherds in a field, dirty, cold, tired, taking care of animals and sheep. An angel shows up and says, He's here, He's coming. You're going to get to see it. And it's so special that the angels are like, man, we can't just stay on the sideline. Angels show up everywhere and they start having a worship service. The reason why I always come to the front during worship is because there's this like heaven meeting earth, right? And I want to be right in the middle of it. I don't want to be on the outskirts. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. They hear the promise and they start the pursuit. Which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe, the babe lying in the manger. When they had seen him, They made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child, and all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen. And it was told them, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the church, into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall 
and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. And yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and she had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was now a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. These stories of salvation mean so much to me. First, these shepherds, low on the totem pole of society, out there in the middle of the night just doing their job, and God shows up and, and tells them about the Savior. They pursue the Savior, and when they get there, right, they're the first ones to see, and he's brand new. I mean, brand new, he's fresh out. And he's laying there, and what do they do? They praise, they worship. They, they have salvation because they've come to Jesus and they recognize him as Lord and Savior. They believe what they've been told, and now they've actually encountered him, and that's it. They're saved. They take off and they go and tell other people about the Savior, right? Pretty special. Even as a child, think about that for a second. When I started this morning, I said, when he comes, he'll be able to change the lives of everybody who lived before him, go back in history, basically, and he'll also be able to change the lives of everybody that will live from the time that he came on. But think about this for a second. Even as a baby, he's saving people because it's not about what he has to say. It's not about a power that he can lay a hand on somebody. It's just he is who he is, and if you recognize him for who he is, you will be saved. Amen. And that's the first salvation we see. It's not a salvation of power and healing and authority and all that stuff. It's just recognizing them for who he is and they're saved. Then how about this woman, Anna? It says after eight days, they give him a name. Then after her purification, typically they say about 40 days later, now he's 40 days old and they, they take him to the church and there's this woman, Anna, and think about her life. Of all the people that God could say, like, look at these early salvations. She was a, apparently a, a good woman seven years from her virginity so she reached a certain age seven years later she gets married and now she's been a widow for 84 years which means her husband died quick and she didn't go running the streets she didn't leave god she didn't say you know what god you you i did right and look at what you've done with my life it says for 84 years she did she never left the church fasting day and night she'd be there praying day and night she'd be there and look at this salvation. She just walks into the church on a normal day. I tell everybody in church, you never know what day is going to be your day. You never know what service is going to be your service of breakthrough. So here comes Anna like every other day. And all of a sudden she sees this baby and she knows who it is. And what does she do? She worships. And then it says that she began to tell everybody who was looking for redemption. She wasn't just running the streets and posting on Facebook and doing all She said, if you are here and you are looking for redemption, I will tell you how to find it. His name is Jesus. I saw him in the church. And then my favorite, the last one, Simeon. Jesus is in the church. His parents are coming to make an offering. And Simeon sees him for the first time, but immediately he recognizes that this is the child and the fulfillment of a promise that was made to him. 
this promise and this uh, pursuit. God promised Simeon, he says, listen, you are not going to die until you see my salvation, until you see the one. It says that he's a faithful man. So just like Anna, he comes walking into the church like he normally would. And he sees the child. And just think about all of you mothers. Think about this. Imagine you're, you're walking to the store. I had this feeling yesterday when I was talking to that lady and her baby. But imagine if you're just walking around and somebody came and snatched your baby up. That's what the story says, that Simeon comes walking to the church. He sees Jesus. He runs over there. He picks up Jesus, and he holds him in the eye and says, God, he's here. You told me that he'd come. I've seen your salvation. And what does he say? Now I can depart in peace. He's a baby, and he knows I have, I've seen the salvation of the Lord, and he's the prince of peace. I get to die now. I get to go on into eternity. I'm seeing the fulfillment of your plan. the Prince of Peace. All we have to do is understand the prophecies and the promise. Begin to pursue him. Right? When we find him, we've got to worship. We've got to praise him for who he is and what he's done. And that pursuit will end in peace. Salvation of our souls. I love Christmas. When we get to tell this story, it's the best story. I don't know how much you'll remember when you leave, but man, I pray that you tell somebody part of this story this week. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand, let's pray, and let's release you. <coughs> mm. So I want to pray, and I want to in, in, uh, invite someone with a very, uh, I would say, special invitation. So what we hear in Scripture at the end this morning was the first, right? So you see these shepherds, they're, they're first, literally. And then we don't know what happened in those, those first 30, 40 days, but we know that at that kind of 40-day mark or so, that Anna comes in and there's salvation there and, and Simeon comes in and there's salvation there and there's peace and all these, all these things happening. And ever since that day, every day, somewhere on the planet, somebody meets Jesus. Think about that. In the exact same way, they heard about him, they were invited to a place that they said that maybe he would be at, Maybe they were home by themselves. Maybe they were at a church. It doesn't matter, but they met him and saw him for who he really is. And they were compelled to worship and give their life to him. For me, that happened on October 24th, 2004. I met him. I didn't know he was real, but I wanted him to be. I didn't know what it would be like to, to encounter him, but I'll never forget it. Similarly to, to these wise men and to these shepherds and to Anna and Simeon, uh, in that moment, I had a lot of needs. I had a lot of desires. I had a lot of wants. I had a lot of brokenness. But in that moment, all I could do is worship. I was crying and I was thinking, I can't believe you're real. I just knew that Mary was lying to me. <laughs> I just knew that it was all fake. 
I just knew that like it couldn't be real, but like you're real. You're really real. And you can save and you can change. And then I just began to look at the scriptures and learn more and more about him. He's wonderful. He's a mighty God. He's a counselor. He's an everlasting father. He's a prince of peace. And over the years, I've come to learn and know and, and see more and more of who he is. And I fall into that same line, right? From the year one, <laughs> whenever it was that, that he came and these people are getting saved to October 24, 2004 to hopefully today, December 22nd, 2019. Maybe it'd be somebody here this morning, but I guarantee you somewhere on the planet, somebody's giving their life to Jesus right now. Man, I hope that somebody here will share their birthday, their rebirth, their salvation, their being born again. And then I promise you, I promise you, you'll find peace like you've never known before. There'll still be life. There'll still be struggle. There'll still be hard times. There'll be all that kind of stuff, but you'll have a peace that surpasses understanding, goes beyond all that. And if you don't believe me, begin to ask people who have met him and they'll tell you. So why don't we close our eyes and why don't we pray? <clears throat> what you've heard is a prophecy and a promise. What I've shared with you is, is how he wants to be pursued, how he speaks, how he leads and guides. You may have been invited here by a child. You may have been invited by a family member or a friend, but that's no different than when Philip called Nathaniel or when Andrew called Peter. It's not just a regular invitation. God is calling you. It's no different than when these wise men traveled a great distance that took three months and then the star stopped. This morning, your star has stopped here. In this season, your Philip or your Andrew has invited you here. And then here he is. The one that the world has been waiting for is here and he's been waiting for you. Right now in this moment, he has more than his hand out to you. He has his arms open to you. He came to the world and many people denied him because he's not going to force them to believe, but he came with open arms. He stretched them out on a cross. And this morning he does the same thing. He says, I am as close to you as I will ever be right here, right now. All I need you to do is take one step towards me, one step of faith, one step of hope, one step of belief, and I will embrace you. I will give you more than you could have ever imagined. So with eyes closed, with heads bowed, it's between you and the Lord. If you know that this is your moment, if you know that this is uh, the place that God has called you to be to save you, all I want to do is acknowledge that with you so that I can pray with you and pray for you. Would you just raise your hand if that's you this morning? This is your moment. Amen. I see you, sis. What a moment that is. Anybody else this morning? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. It's between you and God. If you want God, he wants you. Just raise your hand so I can see you. We've got one sister already. Anybody else this morning? Today's your day. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? We're going to move on. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 
So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for, for our sister. You've got a big family, and this is the place that God's called you. But we're also going to be like the wise men. We've all come here, but we've come to pursue Jesus. And it's not about what we can get today. It's about what we can give. So we're going to give God our worship. Like, really give God your worship this morning. As we close, I'm going to pray. We're going to open up communion. We're going to open up the altars. But here's the challenge, like, like really worship. Whatever we're singing, we'll try to put the words up for you. If you can muster up some sound, let it out. If you can't, just come to the altar and, 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 and be with God. Be with God. This is, this, is, this is our first step towards a real Christmas. Not what we're going to get, but what we can give to God. Give him your gold, give him your frankincense, and give him your myrrh, but give him your hearts and give him your worship right here, right now. Lord, we thank you for Christmas. Lord, we thank you that it was foretold. We thank you for the promises. We thank you for all the pursuits. We thank you for the prophecy, Lord God. We thank you for the peace that you're offering us, Lord. We thank you that people are still getting saved, that it's not just something we talk about or think about, but it's something that people are entering into day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, Lord. We thank you that today was someone's day. We thank you for all those that we don't know, but they've become our brothers and sisters and that we will spend eternity with them in heaven, Lord. I pray that you would remind us when we get there of December 22nd, 2019, how many people had their eyes opened and met you this day, Lord God. Just have your way, Lord. As your people worship, would you just inhabit the praises of your people here in this place this morning for a moment? As we pray, would you meet us here in our prayers, Lord God? Would you give us peace that surpasses understanding? Whatever it is that we've got going on in our lives, Lord, more than you fixing it, changing it, taking it away, or adding to us, we want your peace that supersedes all of those things in the physical, Lord. The things that only you can do and only you can give, Lord. We love you and we thank you this Christmas. If you don't do anything else, you've already done enough, Lord. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The altars are open. Communion is open. You'll be prayed for if you come down for prayer. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a Savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. For listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.